iPad doesn't like my mask. It's me, really, there, yes. Good morning. We're gonna just do a little check with everybody that's here. We, good morning to everyone here. We're gonna do a little camera check. Good morning to this camera. And back here, and over there, and then right here. Hi, it's working. Praise God, we have cameras. They were stolen on Wednesday, and praise God for, for provision. Church, yeah, thank you, Lord. I don't know where Rob, somewhere Rob found a guitar too. You know, I, I think about our response to the theft. This happened Wednesday morning. Someone broke into the church and took the cameras that we use for live stream and took two of Rob's guitars. And Wednesday uh, night, we were scrambling to figure out what to do and, and where, where to go next. And then by Thursday night, when we had prayer and praise and Rob uh, began our time of, of prayer to the Lord, we began with praying for uh, the thief that came and took that equipment. They can be replaced, but those guitars that uh, are not easily replaced, they're really irreplaceable because they were special gifts to Rob. And it reminded me, uh, if you're familiar with uh, the book or musical version of, of Les Mis, you remember that? When Jean Valjean, he breaks out of prison, he runs through the night, he ends up at the bishop's house. Bishop's got a really nice house. But that's fine. He invites him in, provides him a meal and a place to sleep, and this prisoner... Newly free can't resist still living like a slave. And he steals the candlesticks. And he's caught in the middle of the night. Does anyone, do you know what you're tracking with me? And they bring him back to, where's this bishop living? Is it like a castle? I mean, gosh, this is a really nice uh, gig he's got. But he brings him back, and, and they're ready to throw the, the book at him. And what does the bishop say? Oh, my friend, those were gifts to you. Here, you forgot. No, this is a gift to you. And then he looks Jean Valjean in the eye and, and just blesses him and, and calls him to God's greater purpose. And so let's do that with whoever uh, took those cameras. And we know people are very desperate and are hurting. So I'm, I'm privileged to be witness to that type of grace. Uh, it's not a, a book. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a musical. It's a real deal showing love and grace to people that, that hurt us, that offend us. So Praise God for that. I invite you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read a passage in uh, Hebrews 13 in just a moment. I have to be honest with everybody here, everyone at home. I feel a little funny working on this sermon. Felt a little funny. Felt a little self-serving. A little uh, self-serving bias happening here because it's awkward. I'm talking about uh, loving your leaders. That's literally the title of the message. So it's kind of awkward for me to say, love me, define me, church. Care for us. What? Oh, look at all the good things that we're doing as leaders. And that just seems so awkward. This should really be a, a, a sermon preached by a returning pastor, Pastor Emeritus David, Pastor David coming back, or maybe uh, the Silver Fox coming and kind of giving this word, because that's really kind of the tone of this, an older probably a much more mature pastor who's writing this letter and ends the letter, which is really a sermon, to this ancient church. It's made up of, of converts from Judaism to Christianity to the way of Jesus. And for 10 chapters, he, he explains them why Jesus is better. And then he gives a whole chapter of all the examples of the men and women of faith who went on before, who all died, he said, still living out their faith. And here, in these final two chapters that we've been looking at through the summer, the author really wants to impress upon the most practical, wise advice for Christian living. And here in this part of the passage, it's about loving our leaders. 
The application really that we've looked at all summer could be summarized with one word, love. Love and obey God. That was the first sermon uh, out of chapter 12 that we looked at. Then love one another, love strangers. Even this person who came to our door on Wednesday morning. Love people in need. Love your spouse. There's a sermon on, on marriage. Don't love money. And then we get down to, chap, uh, to verse 7, and then we're going to skip down to verses 17 and 19, and it's just simply good advice, really, for the whole Christian community, for the health of the whole community. Be loving your leader. So now, let's read that passage together. Here it is, verse 7. And God's word says to us, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of, the way, of their way of life and imitate their faith. Let's jump down to verse 17. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they must keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have clear conscience and, and desire to live honorably and in every way. Verse 19, I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, now, what's obviously not there in the passage I just read? The word love? It's, it's not written there, but the idea of love is, is all over this text. To live the Christian life well, the, the better way of Jesus, we're taught to remember, to appreciate, and, and to pray for our leaders. But I couldn't call the sermon wrap with your leaders. It had to be loving your leaders. Really, all of that could be summed up with the word love. And that's not awkward for me to talk about because I love you, church, and I know I, that you're loving me and our whole team and all the leaders here at MVC. So let's look at those verses one by one and kind of see what are the practical implications, the wisdom that uh, the author of Hebrews uh, gives to the church that's been passed down for 2,000 years. Let's start with verse 7. Let's read it again. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. We're told to, to remember. I mean, to bring to mind past experiences with our leaders. Think about their life. Think about the way that their life turned out. And so clearly we're looking at those that have gone before, those previous generations, someone who's finished out their, their race of faith. The whole chapter is about here as well. That underlying theme of, of love is loving the race and pursuing God. Now, I, I can remember all of the men of God that have invested in me and inspired me to serve as a pastor. And there have been a few pastors that I would much rather forget. But, but let's just remember, let's just think about the real deal pastors. Raise your hand if you have someone like that that you that you can remember. Maybe it was a pastor or a teacher or a coach, a Bible study leader, someone who, who led you to Christ. We, we are to remember, to think about, to really consider the outcome of their life with all the highs and lows and all those twists and turns and seeing how God worked in and through their life. And then he says here, imitate them. Model your own life, your family life, your career, because we all have a vocation. We're not all called to be in ordained ministry, of course. But we all have 
jobs that God calls us to, whatever that is, to apply those lessons in that realm. What, what wise advice. The author is saying, remember those who've gone before. And, and, and maybe he's himself in this, this list. Now, I'm inspired by reading biographies of, of Christians, uh, and I would love to uh, post this week just a, a, a several different biographies that might uh, be edifying to you, encouraging to you of, of pastors and missionaries and men and women of God who've gone before those that have served in different industries and different walks of life, but have had served Christ uh, faithfully and have really lived out what it means to understand that Jesus is better. But, but look at the text. Let's look at verse 7 again. In order to remember this way, to remember in a way that really has a, a direct impact in your life, not just a passing, oh yeah, I remember that person, real impact. There has to be some form of personal relationship, right? Many of us watch some incredible preachers online, but do you have a personal relationship with that preacher or that author that you love to read? You read everything they write or you listen to all of their music, but do you know them? This is talking about a relationship here. Notice why I say, look at, drop down to verse 19. The author says, of, of pastors, teachers, Bible sailors, it says, I particularly urge you to pray, what? So that I may be restored to you. So just coming home after this long sermon, and right at the end, one of the last things that is included here is, pray that I could come back and see you. Just imagine how difficult travel would be in the ancient world. So there's a personal relationship between uh, this retired pastor, is what I'm assuming, and the people. Do you pick that up? Is that just, is that me? I'm not getting any feedback from the camera, so anybody here, is that? Okay, that's what I see. There's got to be love. There's got to be love. It can't just be this transactional, well, let's see how it goes this week, or how it goes for this season, or the music was okay for the worship. It has to be a relationship in order to want to model your life, imitate, he says, after this person. Now also notice the word leaders is plural. Do you notice that there? There's an S there. There's plural. This text does not apply only to the one pastor of a church or the senior pastor, in my case, over a team of, of leaders. No, it, it applies to all those in leadership. It applies to, to the elders and to our core staff directors, to our Sunday school teachers, Compass Point teachers, our small group Bible study leaders who are, who are here today. My small group leader is here today with his family. Our church's plurality, that's a, that's a big word, that's an SAT word, kids, plurality of leaders, you know what it does? It protects us from the abuse of power. And we know of churches that have sunk into that where there's, there's just one person, the one senior pastor where everything goes through that one person and has utter control. And, and if there is a board of elders, maybe it's just a rubber stamp group of yes men. Is that, can we be honest that that happens sometimes? That's what I love about our church has a heritage, a Presbyterian heritage that, that flattens that out. It's much more democratic. We want to have a plurality of leaders. And so here at our church, if you're checking us out online, if you want to see if this is the kind of church for you and your family, this is how our church works, according to Scripture, I'd, I'd argue. We don't have a bishop. 
There's no bishops in our church. No, our, our teachers are accountable to our directors. Our directors are accountable to me, right? Sarah? Okay. David? Rob? Everyone else? Cammy? I don't know where they are, but they're accountable to me. Oh, I just saw a dark hand in the, in the darkness wave. Okay. And Joe's on vacation. Praise God. And, and then I'm accountable to the elders. And the elders are accountable to one another, and they're elected by the congregation. They're called forth by the congregation to serve for three years. So there's a, a mutual accountability. And then our, our boards, our, our mission council, our trustees kind of oversee uh, the grounds and are addressing all these issues about this theft. Our deacons, they are accountable to the session, that's the group of elders, as a whole. So that, that's really what it's saying here. There's, there's a group of leaders here that we're to be remembering all of them. That's why this week, praise God, thank you, church, I can have a staycation. We're not going anywhere. It's not a vacation. It's going to be a staycation. And things are going to keep moving along. We're probably going to hire a couple new staff. We're going to be making plans for the fall kickoff. We're going to be solidifying plans for uh, our response to the security breach. All while I'm just trying to figure out how to keep my head down. Right, Rob? You can help me out? Keep my head down. Notice what, what, what's written about here with leaders, uh, what they have in common. Look at verse 7. It says, in particular, in this context here, it says, they spoke the word of God to you. A Christian leader worth remembering a Christian leader or pastor or teacher worth caring about their life, the outcome of their life, even to the point where you would want to imitate them to tell your children, hey, do you see this leader? Let's copy them. Must be someone who is speaking the word of God, that is preaching the full gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a lot of good advice, not just lots of winsome stories about themselves that are self-serving, but are preaching the word of God. They need to know the word of God to speak the word of God. And so we want leaders that, that fit this profile. That could be a whole other sermon, but that's really something for a later date when I'm retired and can look back and say, hey, in the future, look for this kind of pastor. But it's all here. Someone whose mind and their heart is clear because they are who they say they are in public and in private. It's someone who is seeking to live in an honorable way, above reproach, Scripture says. Look at verse 18. It says it right there. We're talking about leaders who are Christ-centered, Bible-based, gospel-driven, and spirit-filled. And I am so thankful that God's called me to a church that had a former senior pastor who fit the bill. For 34 years, our pastor, Mary's David Deal, preached the gospel from this pulpit. And, and we are beneficiaries of that. For those of us, raise your hand if you've only been coming since I've been on staff here. There's a few of us. How about at home? Why are there more at home than here in the building? Just kidding. Can't tell. He stuck to biblical convictions. That's why I was drawn to this church. That's why I want to model that to others, to the next generation behind me. He didn't cave to the culture. At the same time, your former senior pastor and all of our associate pastors of MVPC thrived. The church began to grow, and we're preparing the church 
for the next generation. We're always preparing to hand off the baton to the next generation. That's what I see here. So here's the call to action, church, for verse 7. Listen to me, please. Listen and get to know me. And that's why it's weird to preach this, because you're doing that so well. Look, you're so quiet right now. That was one of the weirdest things about preaching here for the first time, because I was used to saying, now listen, now listen, because people are always distracted. Like, come on now, now, pay attention. And everyone was just silently listening. And then I had this weird thing where I wanted to to really make sure you knew how much I I love you, want to get to know you. And you actually responded, yeah, we would love to get to... I would go home and Cheryl, they actually want to hang out with us. That's not my previous 19 years of experience. Maybe like the first couple of months, but then, yeah, okay, we're going to live our life. We'll see you on Sunday. Y'all want to know about us, so thank you for that. So that's the encouragement. That'd be an encouragement to you, too, in your church. If you're not part of our church, if you're just checking this out, listen to your pastor, get to know your pastor. MVC, you get an A. Okay. See, I'm, I'm like... I know, isn't that, oh, oh, the schmaltz, oh, the sweetness, oh, I know, it's like terrible. So it really, just last point about this, just to say, it has to be more than what happens in the pulpit. You can watch incredible speakers uh, on the screen anytime you want, but you have to see it lived out in the lobby and in real life and see how that translates uh, in the life of all of our staff. We want to be an open book to you to serve you. And I promise, now it's going to sound like a stump, a stump speech, I promise, I do, I promise to you, with the accountability of our elders, accountability of my wife, to always preach sound doctrine, to be open to criticism, uh, change, even rebuke, you need to blind spot me, watch out for things that like, hey pastor, you seem to be getting over your skis, I will invite that and seek the spirit of, of the living God daily in my charge and duties. Gosh, that really does sound a little much. Let's move on. So love your leaders by remembering those who've gone on before you. And secondly, appreciate, appreciate your current leaders. Verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. We'll get, we'll get back to that one. I won't skip it. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And so it seems like possibly the next generation of leaders in this church, maybe people were starting to question their authority, their leadership. They weren't submitting. That means really just to yield. Part of our life as Christians is obedience, isn't it? And that's a big theme. I say, love, it's submitting and yielding to a master and then following his lead, and he says, and now here are some others that will be in charge overseeing you. It's, it's following that. It seems like that might have been an issue here in this ancient church. And so this older, more seasoned pastor is reminding the church to do these two things, have confidence and submit to their God-given authority. Now, confidence, trusting them, submitting to them uh, with, without love can, can go awry. But if you fill in love, which this whole chapter I'm arguing is about, it really translates to appreciate. See the value, the worth of what we're called to do, how tricky this is, what we're called to do, how important it is. I could tell you you stories that would make your 
hair on your, on your arms stand up on end of bullies in the pulpit, of pastors who are not worthy of confidence or being submitted to, that I've known firsthand, that I've worked under, that people that have lost the confidence and trust of their churches. Pastors that have come alongside to try to counsel church situations where I've been a part of kind of a third party to come in and help bring some form of, of reconciliation and peacemaking. I've been a part of that uh, in, in California, in Minnesota, and in Maryland. And it's tragic when that trust is broken, when someone in authority misuses or abuses that confidence and that trust in the name of Jesus. And one of the things I, I love about serving here, and I look forward to this fall and pray, God, that it, we can keep the preschool open, is seeing all these children come and their, and their parents come and entrusting their kids to our incredible preschool just to learn the most basic, beautiful things that open up themselves to the world around them and learn their alphabet, learn the days of the week and the seasons and the months, and just and learn how to be friends and how to work and play and, and sit quietly and all those things to get ready for what's ahead for the next 12 years of, of school and education. And, and I count it a real privilege, and I take it very seriously, that I want to try and model to them what a pastor, a leader, a religious figure can look like. So maybe it would be imprinted on them, that's someone who can be trusted. Like we're taught at an early age to trust, but so much of that trust of those in authority is being eroded, isn't it? I love that Mr. Rogers, did you notice he was a Presbyterian minister? I feel like I kind of channel that when I play with the kids and get down on their level and want to get to know. Remember the captain, Captain Kangaroo? What, Mr. Green Jeans, right? He had a whole little family, a whole community, and there was the, the mailman. Like, we, let's, let's trust the mail deliverer. Isn't that a good thing? Let's trust the police officer. Let's take our shoes off. And all those things that I grew up with, that's what we want to model to our kids. Now, almost every pastor, I should say, that I know personally, almost every one of them fits the bill of being trustworthy and having this confidence, 100%. 100%. It meets the requirements of a biblical church leader. Here's the deal. For every pastor I've seen that's a bully, I can count 10 bullies in the pulpit. Okay, not, not here. Maybe I hope not. No. No, the, the, I, I, I'm kidding because I'm feeling uncomfortable talking about this. I think that's what just happened there. I'm trying to cover a real thing with humor. So let me say, let me say it again a little bit with a little bit more seriousness. For every pastor I know who has abused that relationship and has been bullied, I have known 10 more bullies in the pulpit. People that that use and abuse their church-given authority, whether it's formal or informal. I remember my first church in Minneapolis very, very hot August. We began in, uh, in August of 2001, just before 9-11. No air conditioning uh, and a church in Minnesota. So very, very warm in the 90s, probably 90% humidity. Cheryl gave me a beautiful short sleeve silk shirt to wear. Kind of thought I was handsome that day, she said. 
And we would receive prayer cards from the congregation. And so before the sermon, you'd collect all the prayer cards and you'd start praying. We want to pray for this person who's in the hospital and so forth. And I turn a card and it says, it's hard to have respect for a kid wearing a short sleeve shirt in the pulpit. Ooh. And I reacted childishly, anger. Nine years later, that dear soul who wrote that card out of his own place of upsetness and maybe fear of change and seeing a new pastor after the former pastor had been there 23 years and all of that, we worked through all of that, being at his bedside at hospice and holding his hand. That's what it's about. It's about redeeming. So let's not think about us versus them. Let's not run through, oh yeah, there's that person over there, that church, or I've known this person. God's at work in all of us. Amen? Previous church, one time we, we brought in uh, a drummer and a guitarist, and someone ran up to me right after the benediction and said, you're destroying my church. I love that person. Coming from a place of fear and control. Wasn't that the theme Sarah talked about last week? And so we're to appreciate our leaders we're called to recognize the full worth of the role that they, they fill, and they fill it for, for a season, maybe a few years, maybe a whole career, but they fill that role for a season for the sake of the mission and the purposes of God. It's not fair to compare the local pastor to the superstar online. And that's another reason why I'm so thankful for for all of you and for all of you watching at home. So why appreciate, why recognize the full worth of leaders? It says here, the leaders, look at verse 17, it says, it says leaders who keep watch over you, this is the same language as uh, military language in the Old Testament of, of those keeping watch at night, watching for impending uh, uh, trouble, impending attacks. It says, for they must give an account to God. Whoa, that is pretty heavy. So on, on the judgment day, the great white throne, we're all judged by Christ, and you all get to go play, and they say, oh, no, no, you and you and you, st stay back here. We're going to talk a little bit more. What? But, but everyone's, everyone's going to the, the Father's feast, right? Big, big house with lots and lots of food. And, oh, no, but pastor, leader, we need to have a conversation. That's what's ahead for me. That's what's ahead for our pastors of our church and our leaders. And that's heavy. The Bible says God will hold leaders accountable. And that's why it's happened before and it will continue to happen. All joking aside, all playing to the audience, I love you, you guys love me, and that's all true and genuine. But that's why I will say things that will make you uncomfortable and make me uncomfortable. I promise you, if we really preach through this word, all of it, we don't hold back, we don't sugarcoat it, it will make all of us really, really uncomfortable. Because following Jesus is hard. Anyone who told you God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life did not tell you the whole story. Because all of these saints who died were martyred. Go tell Stephen as he's being stoned to death, God has a wonderful plan for your life, Stephen. 
without understanding the greater implications of the glory of God and the forwarding of the gospel. So there are going to be times, I'm a people pleaser. Can I admit that? But there are going to be times where I will say things that will not please you. But that's my responsibility. That's our team's responsibility. So at the end of the day, our mission is what will come first. Over personality, over, hey, hey man, I'm sorry. So many times churches that have gotten into trouble, they tried to hide secretively issues of leadership for the sake of an individual or one family at the cost of the whole. So pray for us for wisdom. So how do we do this? First Peter 5, 2 says, shepherd the flock, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but do so eagerly. And that's what we see here. A pastor speaking, not out of shameful gain, but eagerly. Look at verses 18 and 19. His, his mind's clear. He has a desire to be honorable. He wants to be with these people. It really leads to the final point. It's about prayer. Loving our leaders means remembering them, appreciating them, and praying for them. The author gives us, and we're coming down to a conclusion here, a very practical way to love all of our leaders. Pray for us. What a privilege. You've been called to be priests in in God's house. You have direct access to the throne of grace and to lift up our leaders in prayer. When's the last time we just stopped to pray for our deacons? Just pray for our deacons today, our Stephen ministers. Oh, they're doing so much, so much for our trustees. Let's just lift up. You see someone up front most of the time, and I, I'm feeling blessed and filled up from prayers, but there's so many behind the scenes. So many of you right here. Those that ushered you into your seats, let's pray for them. And I want to ask a very specific prayer for today. Uh, if you're watching from home, this is, this is where we're going to end here. This afternoon at 4.30, our elders are going to be on a Zoom meeting with me and with Rob. We're going to talk about our response, the next phase of our response to COVID and the directives of Governor Inslee. And we want to really uh, uh, submit to and abide by uh, our government's leadership. That's Romans 13 says that that's our charge to do that, that God has put them in responsibility. That's our response. So what will be our response? So pray for us to figure that out, to do that in a way that, that is wise and, and honoring uh, to uh, those responsibilities we have but also serves the gospel, first and foremost. So pray for that meeting. Our mission as a church is to help all people know God more deeply, love others more completely, and live life more fully. Our purpose, it's rooted in God's deep love for us, is to exist to restore people into full life through Jesus Christ. And our vision is to live missional lives that communicate the transformative love of God through authentic relationships and acts of compassion. That's what we're about as a church. So let's remember, let's appreciate, let's give thanks and praise to God, who is our great leader. Jesus is the true leader of this church, is not it? Amen? He's the great shepherd. 
The same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8, that David will be preaching on next week. He's the one who should get all of the credit for all the good that is happening in and through our church, in your family, and in your life. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we can always count on you. We can always count on you. Friends, as, as a team comes up, I just want to ask you to keep your eyes closed if that would help you concentrate. And let's just review for a moment the, the wisdom of chapter 13. Which of these six areas do you need to take your next step of faith in? Loving one another as brothers and sisters. Providing hospitality to strangers. Caring for those suffering for their faith. Keeping your marriage strong if you're married. Staying free from the love of money. Remembering, appreciating, praying, and loving your leaders. Just consider right now, which of those areas are you strong, is is going well in your life, in our life as a church, and in which of those areas do we need to take individually or collectively a step of faith? Lord Jesus, we know we can count on you. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never fail. You're never late. You are forever constant, trustworthy, wise, and right. Lord God, work all things, all things, for your glory and for our ultimate good. Amen.